Good morning, Risen Hope. Uh, it's good to, to be with you today. Uh, before we dive in, would you join me in prayer? Father God, we thank you for today. God, we praise you for uh, the opportunity that we have to dive into your word, um, to look to you, God. God, I pray that you would come um, and speak to our minds and to our hearts and to our souls. God, let your word speak to us today. God, move me out of the way um, that we may be able to hear from you. God, as we've been spending these last few weeks and as we move in um, and continue to spend time talking and reflecting on this series we're talking about and calling To Die For, God, God, we pray that you would show us more of who you are. God, if we are going to die to ourselves, if we're going to die to the things and desires of this world, God, if we're going to be willing to give up everything for your sake, it's only going to be because of who we see you to be. It's only going to be because we know you. It's only going to be when we walk with you and treasure you above everything else, God. So as we dive into scripture today, God, I pray that you would just show yourself to us more clearly. God, help us to see who you are. God, help us to reflect on what you have done for us and the call that you've put on our lives to die for you. God, I thank you and praise you for today. I pray that you would uh, speak your word to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's so good uh, to be with you this morning, Risen Hope, um, very differently uh, than the last time I got to share with you. Um, and uh, I can just say real quickly that, that I miss you guys, and I, I wish that we would be able to do this in person. And um, we're continuing to pray and, and, and look into, you know, when that time will come and, and praying that it'll be sooner than later. But in the meantime, I'm thankful to God that, that we continue to get together in this way and in the different ways that, that technologies allow us to do so. So it's good to be with you, um, and uh, I'm excited to continue in this series. Um, so we've been walking through the series To Die For um, over the last few weeks. Um, we we're just talking about this reality <clears throat> of the call on Christians <clears throat> to be, be literally willing to give up our lives for Jesus, to give up everything for his sake. And that when Jesus calls us to follow him, we're called to die for him, that we're called to give up everything for him. Two weeks ago, uh, Jeremy started off this series, um, and he walked us through uh, the story of Stephen in Acts 7, um, where Stephen was stoned and died and gave up his entire life for Christ, really following exactly what Christ had done for us all the way to the end. Uh, he talked about how we are called to pick up our cross and follow him. And then last week, uh, Jacob uh, took us into Acts 14, and he talked about Paul. Um, and as Acts 14 reflects on an event in Paul's life, he also looked back to where uh, Paul became Paul when he was Saul and, and how he used to persecute the church and how he became someone who was persecuted by the church to the extent of in Acts 14 where he was stoned and left for dead. And he actually didn't die, um, but continued to press on um, with all of his life, even after that, being stoned and left for dead and, and barely holding on for his life. After that, he continues to press on, continues the work of Jesus, which ultimately would lead to his death. And as we've been looking at these different passages and acts and looking into many other scriptures and reflecting on this call that Jesus has on our lives, one of the main passages we've been going to and, and that I'll read for us as we open up this morning is Mark chapter 8. And, and these, these verses are kind of serving as a lens uh, of what the call of Christ looks on us and how that played out uh, here in Acts and in the life of the early church. Uh, so would you read Mark chapter 8 with me, verses 34 through 38. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the son of man also be ashamed." 
when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. What I want to start off with is just reflecting on these words in this title that we're using, to die for. Um, it's an interesting saying, and it's something that um, maybe is something that we, we speak of commonly, or maybe it's something that is much more deep to us. Um, just thinking on the surface level of to die for, um, we very much uh, use it as a metaphor to say, you know, this ice cream is to die for. Um, and I like ice cream as much as the next guy, but uh, I've not tasted that ice cream yet, that I would literally die for it. Um, we say that uh, we want to go on a vacation, like I'm dying for vacation. Um, in this last four months, that's becoming more and more real, but uh, not quite to the literal point yet, if you kind of get what I mean. We often trivialize this saying, um, but at the, much, at the same time, in a much more serious note, um, there's probably people in our lives that we would literally die for, whether we've reflected on that much seriously, um, or if we just think about it for a second, we can probably quickly think of people in our life, whether that be our family, our friends, um, our children, whatever that might look like, there's probably people that we would be willing to die for. But generally speaking, and definitely from a worldistic view, um, outside of extraordinary circumstances, uh, we want to avoid death as much as possible. The idea of dying is something that we want to cover up or not think about or not have to face. And again, in extraordinary circumstances, maybe, um, but apart from that, why would we want to die? Yet, um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a pastor um, in the early 1900s, summed up the call of Christ as this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Jesus calls us to come and die, and I would say that that is the best invitation we could ever be given. Think about that and ponder that for a moment. The invitation of Jesus is an invitation to die, and that's good news. As we just read in Mark 8, it is those who lose their life for the sake of Christ that will live. The call to give up everything and to come and die is not just talking about parts of our life, but our whole life. Not that we should expect or seek death, but that we are called to give up all control of our life and put it in the hands of God for his work and will. To live for Jesus is to die, and to die for Jesus is to live. Another passage I want to look at as we reflect and think and we, we set the stage for uh, where we're going in uh, the book of Acts today is, is John chapter 12, verses 20 through 26. Um, and Jeremy touched on some of these verses, um, so some of this uh, might sound familiar, but I think this gives us a perfect lens into where we'll be going today and into this series and what we're talking about. John 12, 20 through 26. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Let me uh, read some of those last verses there again. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, Jesus says, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is an incredible passage. The context here in John 12 is that it's Passion Week. Jesus was a few days away from being crucified. At this time, some Greeks had come to see him. 
um, which is an incredible statement in and of itself, that his word and what he was doing was extending far beyond the Jews, and that would be finalized on the cross that he had come to save all nations and all people. But it was already being recognized by some Greeks that had come to see him. And when they come to tell him, he tells them the hour is at hand and tells them what it looks like to follow him, that hating your life in this world will keep it for eternal life. The call of Jesus is to follow and serve him, and those that follow him will be with him. So if the call of Jesus is to follow him, the question that we have to answer, if we're going to follow him, is where is he going? For as I said in this passage, it is where he is that his servant will be too. So to follow him is to go with him, to be his servant is to be with him. Right here in this passage, Jesus said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus was going to the cross, and his call was to come be with him, to come with him, to be with him, and to follow him. So for us to follow Jesus, we have to ask, where is he going today? Well, the event of the crucifixion of Christ that happened in early AD, almost 2,000 years ago, was once and for all time. It was a death that, that in one moment captured the sin of all mankind before after, during, and to today, that the death on the cross of Jesus covers our sin today, that when we fall short, Jesus has already died for those sins. But when we ask, where is Jesus going today? I want to contend and I want to present that Jesus is still going to the cross, that today Jesus continues to go to the cross, and that is why our call to follow him is to take up a cross and a call to die. The death of Jesus on a wooden cross at the hands of religious and political leaders is a historical event, in fact. There's no arguing with that. But it also is something that transcends time. It meets you where you are at. It meets you in the darkest moment. It meets you in your sin. It meets you when you are lost. Jesus is there. He's offering you life, love, and hope. Through his death on the cross for the sins of every single person, there is hope. Jesus on the cross is meeting the lost and broken in the midst of their sin each and every day. Where Jesus is going is to the cross. Jesus is going to the cross for you, for me, for those who do not know him, that they may find life in him, and we are invited to follow him, to live out our lives so that through us Christ may be made known and glorified. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives and me. In 1 Corinthians 15, 31, Paul also declares, I die every day, speaking of his pursuit to follow Christ, to give up earthly things, to give up who he is so that Christ may be honored, that Christ may be glorified, and Christ may be made known to the ends of the earth. Jesus has invited us very intentionally to give up our lives, to die every day, and to follow him. To talk about being willing to die for Jesus, we have to confront something that we often want to ignore. We are going to to die. You are going to die. I don't want to scare anyone. I don't want to offend anyone, but this is absolutely real. We are going to die. Not that by any means that we should freely or recklessly throw our lives away, but we have to face the reality that we will die one day. And just as we are called to live for Christ and glorify him in our lives, we too are called to glorify him with our death whenever that may be. Before we dive into Acts, I want us to reflect on, on one more verse, Philippians 1.21 in which Paul declares, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The reality of living our lives for Christ is that when we live, we get to show, proclaim, and glorify Jesus. We are the light of the world showing Christ wherever we go and to whomever we encounter. 
But furthermore, Paul proclaims that to die is gain. Just as Christ did, we are called to take up our cross, but we don't just die for him to die and lose our lives. Rather, as we read in Mark 8, whoever loses his life for the, for the sake of Christ will gain it. To die is gain. Think about that for a moment. To die is gain. Through the death of Jesus, death itself was defeated. 2 Timothy 1.10 says that Christ abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Death entered the world through the sin of Adam and Eve and as the punishment for sin. But Christ has taken what was the punishment for our sin, death, and made it so that death itself can be proclaimed as gain. Think about that. The very punishment given to man for their sin entering this world and all man being fallen and short of sin has been redeemed by Christ. Death for those in Christ doesn't represent the end. It doesn't represent eternal separation from God, but rather death is the moment in which we are ushered into eternity with God forever. Paul knew this so strongly that he could sum up death as gain. But he also knew that to live was his opportunity to serve and love and share the name of Jesus. So he lived for Christ. But as he lived, and as we talked about last week, and as we saw in his life, constantly facing danger, harm, persecution, and near death, we are called to follow Christ in the same manner. To live for, for us to live is Christ. And just as the life of Christ brought glory to God even in death, so can all of our lives bring him glory even to the point of death. To die is gain. To live for Christ is to die. Now taking these reflections of these different passages we opened up with, looking at Mark 8, uh, looking at John 12, looking at Philippians 1, I want us to go and turn to Acts 12 here in a moment and just reflect on these verses and think about what we see play out here in the life of some of these disciples of Jesus and in the early church. Would you turn with me to Acts chapter 12? We're going to go ahead and kind of take this uh, section by section. Um, So I'm going to start in Acts 12, verse 1, um, and just read the first two verses and then talk about that a little bit. Acts 12, 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. So very quickly in the first two verses of Acts 12, we see here that Herod kills James, the brother of John, by the sword. This passage tells us that a disciple of Christ has died as a result of his faith and, of his, and for the sake of his work of the gospel. He has now died. Now here, just a little bit of context. Uh, James here is uh, the disciple James, one of uh, Jesus' uh, inner three that's uh, commonly referred to, uh, but one of his closest disciples. Um, separate from James, uh, who writes the book of James, Jesus' brother, important context there, Um, And then this character, Herod, is uh, presented. So Herod was um, a Roman ruler who was in Jerusalem, um, and he was um, persecuting the church at that time. Um, And we'll see a little bit some of his intentions and why he did that. Um, But uh, Herod was this king, and he actually um, is a a familiar name that we see in the Bible. Um, Not that he was the same person throughout this time, um, but there's a few different Herods. Um, But he was the grandson of the Herod who, when Jesus was born, and when the Herod then, Herod the Great, was seeking Jesus, actually killed all of the babies in Bethlehem. Um, So he comes from a line of people who were inherently seemingly evil, who did horrible things for the sake of their leadership, for the sake of their own comfort, for the sake of their own desires, for the sake of their own kingdom. But we see here again in Acts 12 that James has died. James followed Jesus. James lived for Christ, and it led to his death. 
Jesus had actually told James that this would come to reality in the Gospel of Mark. We see that James and John in Mark 10 had asked Jesus about being next to him on the throne and sitting on his left and right. And in Mark 10, 39 through 40, Jesus answers them. And they said, speaking of being on the throne with him, we are able, trying to convince him of this. And Jesus said to him, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but is for those for whom it has been prepared. Think about this transition of James and his view of Jesus. He went from asking to being on the throne with him, seeing Jesus as this powerful ruler, this, this king who would be on high, to ultimately seeing and knowing what it meant to follow Jesus. And after the cru- crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, James lives his life in a manner like Christ, that people would know and see Jesus through the way that he lived. James was convinced of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, having seen what he had done for him, to have seen what he had done for others, to see the way that he loved and served and gave his life. So James gave his entire life as an exaltation for his Lord. James, at the end of his life, knew that to drink of this cup was gain, that this cup that Jesus proclaimed that he would, would drink of and share it with Jesus of in Mark 10 was gain, and that even in death, God can and will be exalted on high, that to lose his life was to gain it, and that in living his life, even to the point of death, was to follow Jesus. Some bittering and hard truth there, but we see James follow Jesus to the end, to give up everything for his sake. Let's continue in Acts 12, verses 3 through 5. And when he, speaking of Herod again, saw that it pleased the Jews, the death of James, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Herod again put another disciple, Peter, in prison, and he had every intention of killing him as well, just as he had killed James. He was locked up, and death was seemingly inevitable. Peter, too, followed Jesus, forsaking his own life for the sake of Christ, being willing to die for him. But as we know, that that wasn't always um, how Peter lived every single moment of his life, and he had his moments, and he had his doubts, and he had his struggle. Um, In the Gospel of John, we see that the risen Christ spoke to Peter about following him, and similar to Mark, or similar to James in the book of Mark, alludes to his death as well. This is Jesus, the risen Christ, speaking to Peter, and speaking to him after, if you reflect on Jesus on the cross, Peter had denied him three times. And he comes before Peter, and he asks him this question three times, seemingly to represent the same denial that Peter had given. Let's read John 21, 15 through 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him, the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, 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 I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show him by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter loved Jesus and spent his entire life after Jesus was crucified 
feeding and caring for his sheep, caring for the people of God. Just as Jesus has said, he was the good shepherd and we were his sheep. Peter went and cared for him. Peter went and showed his love. Even though he had denied Jesus three times when Jesus was crucified, the faith of Peter was transformed by the death and resurrection of Christ. And he lived out his love for Christ, giving up his life for the sake of Christ and for his sheep. Acts tells us that the church sought the Lord for what they could not control or overcome. We see here Peter was captured, and then the church is praying to God on his behalf, praying that something may happen in this. Prayer is an incredible and powerful thing. We can talk to God, and we can give over to him what is out of our control. That which is impossible in the hands of man, we must give and turn to God. We can take a lot from this response of the church in this passage, and we can take a lot away from the early church in the book of Acts. We, miss, we must give up all things to God and trust in him who is on the throne. Just like we're talking about of losing our lives, we're giving up everything for the sake of Christ. So when we see what's happening in our world and in the things around us, we give that up to God and we put it in his hands, knowing that he is faithful. Not that there are not times when God will call us to act or to do something, but that seeking his wisdom and guidance is essential for the life of Christian, for the Christian. And for those things that are impossible, like we see in this situation where there was no way that early, the early Christians somehow could try and rescue or save Peter apart from God, in the midst of the impossible, the unbearable, the unbearable, the unimaginable, and the challenges of life, we must go to God and pray that he would find a way. And that even if he doesn't, like we saw with James, that he would be used it for his glory and that he would work it together for his good, like he is so faithful to do. Let's continue in uh, Acts chapter 12 to see what happens to Peter. Acts 12, 6 through 11. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and centuries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly, and the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know where he was going. What was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street. And immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Peter is rescued. God answers the prayers of the early church, and Peter is miraculously set free and led out of his imprisonment. Now I think when we walk through this chapter, we have to, we have to ask, why does James die and Peter live? The answer is that in all of this, the disciples brought glory to God. Not that one was needed and one was not, but that God was glorified in life and death, and that no matter what happens in this life, God is working all things together for good. Though death is heartbreaking on this side of eternity, we know that God can use it for his glory and redemptive purposes. We've seen that in Jesus. We've seen that throughout scripture, and that's the same thing he's calling for us in our lives. Now, let me also state, when we look at Peter, that this rescue is temporary. 
And I would argue that any rescue on earth is a temporary foreshadow of the eternal rescue that we have in Christ. We have a loving and rescuing God, but the ultimate rescue is not from a situation. It's not from an earthly experience, but rather an eternal rescue from sin and death in which we will be with God forever. Earthly rescue is great. Seeing God's hand evident in his kingdom unfolding on earth is a powerful thing, but this is merely a glimpse into the true rescue we have secured for us in eternity with God forever. Peter was rescued here in Acts, but history tells us that shortly after the New Testament, Peter ultimately died for his faith. Some church traditions say that he was crucified upside down, for he didn't account himself worthy to die in the same manner as Christ. Though not something that is told within the pages of scripture, we do see that in history, it seems almost certain, whether it was in that fashion or another, that he was eventually martyred and died for his faith. But we can see in John 21, as we just read, that Jesus had foretold that Jesus would be led to his death. So it seems that history supports that. And that Peter, even though here he is rescued, continues to live his life completely for Christ following him, eventually glorifying God in his death and experiencing the gain that Paul had talked about in Philippians. We're going to jump here in a moment to Acts uh, 12, verse 20. Um, So there's a few verses that we'll quickly just summarize over real quick, about about nine verses here. Um, So we saw that Peter was rescued. He had come to himself. He was in shock and awe of what had happened, at first thinking it was a vision, but then realizing what had just been done. And a miraculous thing, uh, in this day and age, he would have literally been strapped to the guards. He literally would have had to pass multiple guards on the way out. Doors were opening for him. God had worked a miracle. So after Peter came to himself and realized that rescue that occurred, he went to the house of Mary, who was the mother of Mark, where a number of believers who had been praying for him were there. The church back then would have been in Jerusalem, spread out amongst probably many houses um, and different home churches that had populated and popped up as as believers were growing in numbers and multiplying. Um, So this represented probably just some of the believers that were um, praying for Peter. When Peter arrived at Mary's, a girl saw him at the door and ran in to tell the others, not even having let him in. The people were in disbelief and thought the girl was crazy. They thought she was insane. But it was him, and the people were amazed at what God had done. And the word, of, the word of what happened to Peter had spread to other believers. And then it says, Peter left the place, uh, likely not to be found by Herod or to continue in his work. Um, and then um, before we get to our verse here, um, when we jump back in at, at verse 20, uh, it reflects on the fact that Herod in the morning could not find Peter. He was angry, and he even killed the guards um, and had them put to death that were watching Peter that night. Now let's pick, uh, pick back up in Acts chapter 12 uh, at verse 20. Uh, here um, we see that Herod um, at the, in, in verse 19 had left uh, that area, had gone down to Caesarea, and in Acts 12 through 20 um, we get a very powerful, interesting reflection on, on Herod and what ultimately is the end of his life. Acts 12, 20 through 23. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a god, speaking of Herod, and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms, and breathed his last. Herod desired to please people and sought the exaltation of himself by man, even to the point of people calling him in Acts 12 here in these final verses, a God. 
and this led to his death, an eternal death. To seek the kingdom of self is to be in opposition of the gospel. It is to oppose Jesus. As we read in Mark 8, whoever saves his life will lose it. And in John 12, whoever loves his life will lose it. We cannot love and save ourselves. This leads only to loss and destruction. Speaking of the wicked and the righteous, we read in Matthew, uh, Matthew 25, verse 46, and these, the wicked, will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This death is nothing compared to the death of Jesus, the death of James we just read about, and the eventual death of Peter that Peter would experience. Herod had no gain in his death, but rather is experiencing an eternal death and much worse things than any experience here on earth. Herod was in opposition of the words of Jesus and the call of God. In Matthew 23, 12, Jesus says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Herod was, Herod was at the top of the earthly food chain and exalted by man and even called to God. But very quickly, in a moment, he was humbled. He died at the hand of an angel of the Lord. No power of man could stop this. No royal robes were good enough. No guards could help. No earthly exaltation could oppose God. In just a moment, Herod went from being a figure of dominion in the earth, a great power, a great person of dominion in the earth, to having dominion over him as the earth, to the earth having dominion over him as worms ate his body. Well, we have talked much about what it looks like to live for Christ and offer all of our lives up for his sake. It's important that we see in Herod the ugly reality of sin and what it can cause and what it leads to. Herod was self-seeking and wanted his own glory, and this ultimately led to complete destruction and being separated from God in eternity. As much as we can celebrate our hope in life and even death in Christ, we know that for any who has not put their faith in Christ, there is no hope. There is no gain in death, but rather eternal suffering. This is the very reason we are called to live, and as Christ, this is why we are called to die daily to give up our lives and to follow Jesus, that we may share his name to the ends of the earth, that his hope, his glory, and that many would come to see and hear the good news of Jesus and put their faith in him, not because of our own doing, but because of the work of Christ in us and through us to the ends of the earth. Let's look at one final verse here in Acts chapter 12. Acts 12 verse 24 says, but the word of God increased and multiplied. In earthly terms, one could look at this chapter, Acts 12, and almost see it as a tussle between God and Herod. Herod had killed one of, one of, uh, one of the most well-known disciples, one of the closest disciples of Jesus, nearly killed another, had him in prison, had him almost certain to die. He was rescued by an angel, and then God kills Herod. But this isn't a fight or a match between the two. God has no rival. God has no equal, and God has no opponent. God had victory over everything that happened here. Even in the death of James, God was glorified. In the rescue of Peter, God was glorified. In showing the church how he can answer prayers and rescue, he was glorified. In the death of Herod, God shows that he is God alone and that those oppose him will lose. And that there is no hope in life lived, in a life lived out for selfish gain. All injustice, all self-exaltation, all sin, all wickedness will fall and crumble at the hand of God. There is no opposition to God. God was glorified in all that happens here in Acts 12. God is continuing his work 
and the word of God continues to increase and multiply. As we read in John 12, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Here in Acts 12, we see the work of God in the early church that experienced fruit. Even as a disciple lost his life and another nearly died, God's kingdom was at hand and the word of God increased and multiplied. We are called to be a part of what Jesus is doing by living and dying for him. To follow Jesus, to pick up our cross daily, to be crucified with him, to die for his sake, that in doing so, there may be fruit. We are called to live like James, following Jesus to the end of our life. We're called to live like Peter, following Jesus and trusting in him regardless of what this means for us and for our life. We must turn away from sin and from ourselves that we not live our life in any resemblance to Herod and face eternal death. We must share the good news of Christ that the eternal reality of Herod would not be the reality of our neighbors, our family, our coworkers, or anyone that we can share the name of Christ with, that they may come to know him and see him. To live for Jesus is to die for him, and to die for Jesus is to live. We have to wrestle with that no matter what we are called to die, that no matter what we, no matter what happens in our lives, that we are called to die for Jesus in every single part of it, and even potentially in the whole. While it's unlikely that many or any of us would face persecution to the point of death in this life, we are called to offer up all of our life into the hands of God and let his will and work be done no matter the cost. To die for Jesus starts with how we live our lives each and every day. How are we going to live a life in which we are willing to die for the sake of the gospel if we don't first die to ourselves? We need to die to our preferences, die to our desires, die to our selfishness, die to our greed, die to our lust, die to our conveniences, die to our culture. We have to die every day. It is in this dying and in giving up our lives that we live. We live for Christ and glorify him. It is in that life that we find the joy and hope of Christ, and in doing so, we come to see all that there is in Christ, and that even in death, we find victory in him. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. We're going to wrap up for communion here in a moment. And as we wrap up, I want to invite you, if, if you are able to do so, to partake communion in your home. Uh, communion is a beautiful reminder of all these truths of what we're talking about today, of the death that Jesus gave up, that Jesus died for us, that his blood was shed, and that his body was pierced for our transgressions, that we may know him, that we may be rescued from our sin and from death, so that we can live our lives in a manner that is Christ, and that we can know that even death in Christ is gain. So as we partake in communion today, let us reflect on what was done at the cross for our sake and what we have because of that and who it is that we follow and who it is that we take up our cross to go after. To close, I want to read John 12 once more, uh, verses 20 through 26. I think this is such a powerful verse. John 12, 20 through 26 says this. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am 
there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, my father will honor him. We want to see Jesus, and he is going to the Christ. It is in dying that he bears much fruit. And it is in our dying to ourselves and our giving up our lives and our following of him that we will see fruit, that we will see God work in great and incredible ways like he did in Acts chapter 12. Our call is to follow him. We are called to be with him. We are called to go where he goes. We're called to go to the people who do not know him. We're called to go to the lost people around the world. We're called to go to our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, whoever it is who doesn't know them. We're called to lose our life and hate our life in this world that as we die to ourselves, we would find our lives in him. We're to give up everything for the sake of Christ. As we live for Christ, his spirit works in and through us that others may know of him and come to follow him. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's pray. Father God, my heart is heavy to think about so many things that come up in my life that, that I want or I desire or, or that I put in front of you. God, help me to give up everything for you. God, help us to give up everything for you. God, it is only when we see you face to face, God. It is only when we know you. It is only when you work incredibly in our hearts and your spirit fills us that we are able to give up everything for you. Um, but God, that's exactly what you did with your disciples here in Acts 12. That's exactly what you did in the life of the early church, God. And that's exactly what you're doing in the hearts of us who put our faith in you. God, we need you to show us more and more of yourselves, God. God, help us to be removed further away from our sin, to be removed further away from our selfishness, to be further removed from our desires, God. Help us to die to ourselves and to live a life where we're willing to die for you, to live as Christ and to give up our lives knowing that even in death, there is a great gain with you forever. God, we thank you for what you've done, the way that you've redeemed every single part of this life, even death, God. God, we thank you for your promise. Help us to live a life to die for you. Help us to know you and seek you. Help us to be the light of the world to the people around us, and help us to show who you are and what you've done. God, we thank you and praise you for today. In Jesus' name, amen.